0: Into that, um, we need to mark down another birthday coming up on the twentieth. Uh, Tori has a birthday, so we got to remember to. Did you know is the Christmas day? No, I didn't know that. She's oh, there she is. Yeah, okay, Christmas day. Okay, now I had another request about Bob, you're going to sing, I don't know if I pronounced this right, Still Knocked? You're going to sing that for us on the 23rd? On the 23rd. We got that request in. Now that that was, um, that's German for Silent Night. And he's going to sing Silent Night in German because he memorized that from... I guess you took German in college, high school or college or something? Huh? College in 68. Man. That's not 19. Okay, so still knocked on the 23rd. Well, that happens to be also the day that Brother Eddie Brown's going to preach for us. Now, I had some reason I just a few weeks ago, I thought I wanted to have somebody speaking then, and I asked James Perry to speak on the th- uh, the week following, whatever. That would be the 30th. So we got two in a row. Where then I found out that um, I would mentioned to you that I was going to be taking this treatment uh, in January. Well, it looks like it might be moved up and start the week before uh, Christmas. Maybe. I I don't know. I'm just waiting on a phone call now. They're doing all the paperwork and getting that stuff rolling. So this uh, blood treatment that I had mentioned where they remove some of your blood, not all of it, and they filter out the white blood cells. They ship it off somewhere to some laboratory. They attach this protein to your white blood cells, and they ship it back, and they put it back in you. So i got to go in one day, and then like a day or two later, I go back and have it put back in. And the idea behind that, this protein is a... Um, how do you say it it's yeah it targets specifically prostate cancer and somehow it's supposed to be a target against that or fight against that so it's to build your immune system up towards that specific thing so and i it, you it was when they first started telling me about this back almost a year ago that you went in a week and you did that treatment like on a Tuesday and then you got your blood back on Thursday and then you wait a week and then you go back in for another week and you did that three times but it might be now that I have to go in just one week next week you know boom boom so anyway I'm just still kind of waiting to hear on that so anyway I'm saying all that to say I'm glad I asked these guys to speak because you don't know how your body's going to react to that and he's talking like it'll be nothing but then again you never know you know it can be fever nausea chills and all that kind of stuff you know may happen so anyway we're kind of looking ahead to that and i guess in case it happens well then we're we're covered so the lord was looking out for that all along okay and then we have uh the date I got wrong, I said the 20th for the fellowship between Faith Baptist and our church and we're hoping to get uh, Brian Maxwell and his group to come up and I don't remember, what's the name of Brian's church? Do y'all know? No, but you better because I've already told James. Huh? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, <laughs> we're, the, that's in the works. I think Tracy's al- already mentioned it to him so we're in- planning to invite them up. So it would be on a Sunday Afternoon, I like, you know, late in the afternoon, but early enough that, you know, you can get home before dark and all that sort of thing. So anyway, that's what we kind of got in the plans or in the works for coming up in, in January. OK, I think that was all that I needed to remember and mention. So we will turn to Matthew chapter six And. give a look-see to this, Matthew chapter 6, somebody had texted me after the service uh, last week, after preaching on this uh, previous passage, verses 19 to 24, they said, okay, now I'm looking forward to see what you're going to say next week (laughs) on this passage, so uh, they are tied together, by the way. They look like and they're separated, at least if you have a Bible where they've, you know, put it in paragraphs or outlined it or whatever. Usually they separate those, but <clears throat> they're actually together. So let's read verses 25 to 34, and then we'll just take up from there. In Chap- Matthew chapter 6, Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? For all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Let's pray. Father, we do want to ask your blessing and your guidance and your help as we read a passage like this and consider what you've had to tell us and what you're trying to teach us regarding our, our life as a disciple, as a follower of Christ. And we give you all the thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we mentioned that the early part of this passage that we spoke about last week is... Connected to this one. I mean, he says there in verse 25, therefore I say unto you. So it's important then that we go back to chapter, uh, to the verses 19 through 24 and to take consideration of what he's trying to teach us here. And we saw there the main thrust of this passage, which which was in verse 24, that no man can serve two masters. And that word serve is our word for slave. It's, it's, it really should be translated slave, as we talked about several months ago, if we really want to grasp the impact and the thrust of what he's trying to teach us. Because he's telling us here at the end, he says, you cannot be a slave to God and mammon. And we know that a slave is one who has really no option in a matter They owe their allegiance to their owner, to their master. And so here he's trying to tell us that we are slaves to one or the other. We are going to give our entire allegiance over to one or the other. We also made mention that very frequently and often Christians are trying to do both. They want to be... Devoted to both the Lord and to mammon. And they make a grand attempt at it. And feel like life is pretty well balanced because I've got it going both ways. And yet, what we don't realize is that when the Lord is our master, and we're claiming him as master, then he's asking for 100% devotion. And so to even give anything over to anything else, whatever we want mammon to fall under, whether it's worldly treasures or money or whatever, whatever we value and we're putting up there, you cannot give even one little portion to that and satisfy God as master. In other words, as one said it, he he just simply won't stand for it. He can't take it. It's either all or nothing in our devotion to God. So consequently then, when he comes to verse 25, Therefore say I unto you. That's the transition. That's the flow of thought that he's moving into here regarding what he's trying to teach us. In view of the fact that you can only have one full-time, as it were, master master one who you have given your full devotion to, then I want you to think about this, because he says, take no thought. Consider this. And many of your more contemporary translations would give it more accurately, as at least as far as our English goes, would, don't be anxious about or have anxious care for these things. In verse 9, he says, This I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. So, to approve things that are excellent. So, when we come back here to Matthew chapter 6, and the Lord is talking to us about the birds, the fowl of the air, and how it is that they don't worry about Where their food is coming from, they don't worry about their shelter. They don't worry about anything. They have no anxious care. In other words, then he's simply telling us, "Aren't you of more excellence and value, or or superior to, as one translated it, than the birds of the air?" And if you are, then don't worry about how the Lord's going to take care of you. He's going to provide. So don't worry. And which of you, by taking thought, that is, by worrying, by having this anxiety, can add one cubit unto his stature? And, of course, we look at that and say, well, of course, none of us can. We can't do anything about our height. Nor can we do anything about the length of life, whichever way this applies. Because it can go either way but we can't do anything about it. The Lord has determined who we are. We have the body we have because God chose it. It was his purpose and design. So we've got what we've got. Why are you going to worry about that? You can't change it, but many people try to. I mean, don't we visit the guy? What's, what's the guy that you know, that does all the surgery, uh, the, the, no, the guy, huh? plastic surgeon. That's the guy I was trying to think of. I mean, if we're not happy with what we have, we want to change it. And he's telling us here to be satisfied with what we have, because you can't change what God has done and what he has given us. So don't worry about it or be filled with anxiety. <laughs> about what we have and he goes on to give us another illustration regarding the flower now he moves from animals to plant life and he also says he he changes from behold to consider so there was to be a visible look at the birds and their activity as they flew through the air and went about their daily, their daily business as opposed to looking at a flower. He says rather here, consider the lilies, how they grow and they toil not, neither do they spin. That is, they don't weave anything of themselves. Everything about a flower, and whether it's a lily or not, they don't know. Nobody knows. They debate over what this really is, and it's probably not a white lily, you know, that we're accustomed to thinking of. Matter of fact, Gobet says he thinks it's a red lily, uh, a particular one, but nobody really knows. But nonetheless. The point being is, is that the people whom the Lord was speaking to knew what he was talking about. And when he was telling them to give consideration to this, to think about this, to look at the activity of a flower, not the beauty of it necessarily, but how it's made, how it's all put together. And the flower had nothing to do with it. God designed it. He put it together that way. It was his purpose that was in view. And so when he says, Don't, why do, are you taking thought for your clothing the way you're clothed, think about the lily. It doesn't give any thought to such thing, has no anxiety or care about it, because it has no control over it. And really, in a, in a, in a re- very real sense, neither do you and I. And so he says in verse 29, And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. You know, it, it doesn't really specifically mention clothing with Solomon and how he was dressed. But when you think about the Queen of Sheba, when she came to visit with Solomon, and she looked at all the glory of his kingdom, and she mentioned all the, the orderliness of his government, and how even when they sat down to eat, everything was done in a certain fashion. And so, when you think about how magnificent his kingdom was, and all that was attendant to that, that overwhelmed the Queen of Sheba, then we have to also think about the dress of Solomon, and it must have been magnificent as the king. And of course, him being a type of the Lord Jesus Christ in the millennial kingdom, then our minds can take us to imagine even greater what his dress must have been like. And so when he's comparing here then, Solomon, in all his glory, he says, was not arrayed or clothed, did not have the arrangement of dress that this lily has. And yet the lily had nothing to do with it. It was all by God's design. So, if God so clothed the grass of the field, now he moves from flowers to grass, just the the ordinary plant life, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Now that becomes important to us to see that the ye of little faith is the one who is anxious about what's going to happen tomorrow, about what they're going to have and what their provision will be. Now I realize that in a culture like ours in the day in which we live, we don't have a tendency to think so much each day about clothing, about what we're going to eat tomorrow, Because it's there on the table. The grocery stores are full. And we have a land of plenty. But we have no promise of it, do we? And, you know, my only relationship to those things is from my dad, who said, Well, you didn't live through the Depression. Some of you have, through all through the 1930s. And you know what it was like not to have or to be hungry. I, I can't think I've never been hungry a day in my life unless I just chose not to eat and I got hungry. So it's very difficult for you and I to relate to things like this as far as food and clothing go. But that doesn't mean we don't have anxiety as a matter of fact I think that's probably the number one the number one thing that people go to psychologists for or psychiatrists is anxiety over whatever issue it might be in life that they're facing and that's all the Lord is trying to teach us here is that when we have God As our master. That Jesus Christ is our master. And we are his slave. Then the slave. Looks to the master. To supply everything for them. And a slave. Did not even give one consideration. Or thought. To what he had to wear. Or what he was going to eat. The next day. Because that was the master's responsibility. And that's what he's trying to teach us here. That. It's God's responsibility to supply our needs and he will do so. O ye of little faith. Now I'm glad he said little <laughs> and not no faith. O ye of no faith would have been pretty pretty drastic. But he says O ye of little faith. But we can increase faith. We can have a deep, full faith when our rest and our devotion is fully unto the master just like a slave is under the authority of his master so consequently then he says therefore verse 31 in view of that then don't take any thought saying what are we going to eat what are we going to drink or wherewith shall we be clothed I mean he is Working on this hard about the issue of anxiety and concern and care over the issues of life and the things that You know are, are, are it, it really gets down to the bottom of our ambition. What is driving us? What is pushing us in life? Some of us Don't have any issues with that or very little we're driven by our work or our career, you know, or, or uh, you know our hobby, or you know, you know, we, a job is just a way to, you know, give us some freedom and a little money so we can go play and do our do our hobby or whatever it is. And we don't we don't carry those kinds of concerns and cares. But he's trying to tell us here that. The cares and the issues of life are to be wholly in subjection to the Master. In verse 32, the reason he says, because all these things do the Gentiles seek. Now, it's interesting that he brings in the word seek right here. For all these things do the Gentiles seek. That's why ambition, what we are eagerly after or pursuing or desiring to do in life. He said, if you're looking to those kinds of things, he said, that's what the Gentiles are doing. Now, he's setting a disciple of, of, of Christ, one of his followers, over against the Gentiles, who are, are doing those things and are seeking those things. And he's simply telling us, shouldn't be so with you. Not so. For your heavenly father knows that you have need of all these things. So the things that consume the Gentile, he's saying, in other words, those that are outside the sphere of being disciples, they don't belong to the Lord. They're not believers. And they're seeking after those things and looking after whatever comforts or needs of life that they can pursue after. In other words, they don't have a heavenly father that they're looking to. They don't have a master that they can lean on and trust in to supply their needs. And since they don't, then they're out there seeking and working and laboring hard to get all those things. But he says, basically, he's telling us, you have a a Lord. You have a master who will take care of those things for you. And then he gives us the, the great, verse 33, but. If we are not to have such concerns, if we are not to be filled with such anxiety and care about those kinds of things, where should we direct our ambition? And you'll notice he uses that same word, but seek. Direct your ambition to this one thing in life. So if you want to set it apart. If you want to have a a goal that you're working towards in life. If there is one thing that stands out supreme above everything else. He says, seek ye first. The kingdom of God. Now that word first is what's called an ordinal number. And it simply means a matter of priority. This is what you do. Number one, in order of priority, and I think, and I hope I'm not reading into the passage beyond what it's saying there, but it might be implying to us your only priority, the thing that we should be seeking after. Seek first the kingdom of God. And by the way, this is the first time I think he uses the word kingdom of God In this gospel. You remember up to this time. It's been the kingdom of the heavens. What distinction that means. I don't know. But he says. Seek ye first. The kingdom of God. And his righteousness. Now. What kind of righteousness. Would he possibly be speaking of here. Well. It it is not the righteousness that comes. As a result of. Receiving the gospel. And believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. I think if we go back to Matthew chapter 5. And we look back at verse 20. We'll get the answer. Because we've already addressed this. The Lord's already addressed it. He says in verse 20 of chapter 5. For I say unto you that except your righteousness. Shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. ye shall in no case enter. Into the kingdom of the heavens. And exceeding righteousness. Now one author said that word righteousness means your active obedience. And that really is what it is. It's not the static imputed righteousness we receive when we accept Christ as our savior. But it's the righteousness that accrues to us because we are acting obediently to the Lord. We're walking according to his precepts, doing his will, obeying our master in every regard, the things that he's given us to do, and that's what he's that's what he's laying out for here is in this whole sermon. How are we to act as Christians? And my when I think about how I fail, and I'm so glad we have the Lord's promises regarding that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and we get right back on the narrow path once again. We get knocked down, we get back up. We fall down, we get back up. And we continue on the path that he's called us to. So, when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that means all these precepts, all these principles of life that we've been talking about regarding uh, marriage and adultery and money and forgiveness and things that we haven't even addressed yet in this, in this message are to be a matter of priority. We're to seek them out. We are to do them as a matter of first order. And if we're doing those things, then you can be sure your master is going to provide all the basic needs of life that you need. Clothing for your back, food for your table, drink to satisfy your thirst, shelter to as a place to live in. Do you ever crawl in bed at night and just say, thank you, Lord, for a nice, soft bed? It's warm. I, I think about People I know that, you know, in other countries that sleep on a little mat on the floor. And then each day, like a little rug, they just roll it up and put it away. And I think I can hardly sleep on a carpeted floor, let alone on a hard floor on a little rug. And I do that. I sometimes, I remember, oh, it's been a few years ago now. The kids got us one of those, uh pillow-top things that you could put on your mattress. It's not a pillow-top mattress, but they bought women that you can add on. And I'm telling you, I remember the very first night I crawled in there and laid on that thing. I thought I'd just died and gone to heaven right there. I mean, it felt so good. It was great, and I still enjoy it. Now, that's okay. So, verse 34. Take, therefore no thought for the morrow for the morrow the next day that is shall take thought for the things of itself sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof today's problems are sufficient for today today's needs are sufficient for today don't Add to your burden by taking on tomorrow's burdens and putting them on today's burdens and then carrying them around too. That's what drags us down. That's what makes our faith so ineffective and makes it a little faith when we carry those extra burdens that we don't need to carry. So shed them off. Put them away. And just focus on today and today only. We don't have, Now, by the way, that does, none of this means that we don't plan out ahead. I mean, we have other scriptures plenty that tell us that we need to we need to uh, save our money. We need to plan for future needs, and we need to look ahead to providing for our families. I mean, Paul told us if we don't provide I a mean, man that didn't provide for his own house is worse than an infidel, and all those kinds of things. We don't need to go into those at just this moment. So we're not saying that we don't do all those things, that we just abandon everything, and we just get us a little robe and start walking around, you know, each day and live accordingly. Otherwise, I'd have had a robe on a long time ago. But we don't do those things. He's talking about anxious care, anxieties, those things that, Stir us in our hearts to the point where we just become ineffective in our walk with Christ. And we're to turn all those things over to him. And then seek his kingdom. Begin to walk in a different way than the way the Gentiles walk. And seek after the things that belong to his kingdom. These are things that belong to the righteous rule of Christ and his coming kingdom. And those are the things that we're to seek after. If we don't, if we haven't made those things a priority, then our faith is going to be weak, anemic. And we're not going to progress in our Christian life, and we're not going to grow into that full, mature man that God has as a, as a, as a desire and a goal for us to attain to. And, of course, growing then into the, to the full age or the mature man in Christ is then how he is going to use First Peter 1, 9's message, that he will save our souls, preserve our life unto his coming kingdom. And that's what I'm looking for. That's what I strive for to do every day. Didn't say I didn't fall down. I said, I strive for that every day. But I do thank the Lord that he's given me the grace to get up and keep on going. And then we should all do that. Let's pray. Dear Lord, how we do pray that through the difficulties of life and the pressures and the things that are pressed upon us every day, we ask that you would grant us the grace to see the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ as our master. He who owns us will supply our every need. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.